0: Yeah, I don't usually do double duty on drums drums and preaching, but you don't say no to Keith. Um, No, and in all honesty, uh, the things he said about me, I would uh, truthfully be able to say about you. Um, Keith has been a good friend and a dear brother, and you guys are blessed to have a pastor who loves Jesus and loves you. I know that. And so... It's uh, just my my honor to be with you this morning. I don't know why I'm a little emotional this morning. I don't even know where it's coming from, but it is. uh,
1: uh,
0: That's usually a sign that God is at work in my life, and uh, I'm thankful to uh, to join you here this morning. So thanks for having me. Um, A couple of months ago, I went to eat at Pecan Lodge down in Deep Ellum. It's probably one of the best barbecue places in the state, not just the city. And uh, we were, I was with a, a friend of ours, uh, another guy that Keith knows as well. And over lunch, he shared a story with me about something that was going on with one of the families, um, one of the elders at his church. And it was the second time this couple had done in vitro fertilization uh, in hopes of getting pregnant and having a child. And. The week before, uh, the lunch that we had had, the wife of the elder had shared with all the women in the church of how they were pregnant, and they were so excited. And just that morning that we were getting together for lunch, he had received word that the baby didn't make it. And on on top of that, this was what the couple believed their last chance. Like, I, I don't know the ins and outs of IVF. Uh, but evidently, there are some risks that are involved with each time. And, and at this point, due to, due to health concerns and financial uh, things, this was really their last chance. And so this couple was now wrestling with what they believed, news that they would never have a baby of their own. And I get choked up sharing that with you this morning. Um, my heart just continues to break for them. Um, I can't begin to think what that would be like, what that would feel like. And what it reminds me of really is that life is just hard sometimes. There are times when it beats us up, when it drags us down, and it makes us wonder if things will ever get any better. Sometimes we think that, we wonder that. We experience so much loss that sometimes we begin to wonder, will I ever win? Will I ever experience victory? As we wrestle with those questions, what I am compelled to ask, is that just kind of the way that life is? Are we supposed to just kind of resign ourselves to struggle and pain and difficulty? Or is there more? Is there more for us? The good news, I believe, friends, is that God did not make us to lose. He didn't create you. He didn't create me to lose, to just experience loss and suffering and pain. He created us to win. He created us for victory. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, specializes in bringing victory from defeat. He specializes in bringing beauty from ashes. That's who he is. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. And our God has promised to give us the victory. The question I want to talk about and ask with you this morning is how do we receive the victory that God has promised us? How do we actually receive the victory that God has promised us? If you would, turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. I don't know how big your Bible is. My Bible, I'm on page 181. Joshua is just before Judges, just after Deuteronomy. So it's like the sixth book of the Bible, I believe. And we're going to look at Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 20 today to find out how we can receive that promised victory that God has for us. How we can keep going when things are uncertain. How we can keep moving forward whenever things are hard, whenever they are difficult. Um, before we read the text, I want to just pray together uh, and then we'll, we'll jump in. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Father, it is such a joy to be here with City Church Garland, to be with brothers and sisters uh, in this place. And most importantly, it's a joy to be here because you're here. It's a joy to be here because I get to be with your family the family that you've adopted me and each one of my brothers and sisters in here who are in Christ into. So thank you for, as uh, we were just hearing from this gentleman earlier, like we are all connected regardless if we worship in one place or in different places. We are a part of your church. There is one church because there's one Savior. So thank you for that gift. And Father, I know that if the people that are here today, my friends that are here today or anything like me, they may know all the right information, but sometimes it's really hard to trust you. Sometimes we have the right theology, but it's sometimes hard to just walk with you and to to believe that you're going to meet us today and that you're going to go before us and you're going to sustain us as we go through life. And so I pray that this text this morning would encourage us, I pray that you would guide my words, that you would guide our time, that you would have your way with it, that uh, if you have a different agenda, that's fine. We surrender to you. I surrender to you. So have your way with our time this morning, and we thank you for your son, we thank you for the life that we have in him, and the family that you've brought us into, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 20, what we're going to do, this is, How I often like to preach we're going to read a few verses kind of take a pause Talk about those and then read some more if you would follow along with me as I read verses one through five says this Now jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of israel none went out and none came in And the lord said to joshua see I have given jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram horns, ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. I just realized last time I preached this sermon, I was in the book of Joshua. You guys are in the book of Acts. So let me just give you a brief uh, introduction to where we are in the story of the people of Israel. So as you probably know, they were in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And the book of Exodus is about how God leads Moses to take his people out of Exodus To deliver them from bondage under Pharaoh, they miraculously cross the Red Sea. And then God leads them by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And they wander around the wilderness for 40 years. And then Moses dies. And God raises up a new leader for them, Joshua. And he tells Joshua, you're going to be the one who leads my people into the land that I have promised them, the land of Canaan. And so in Joshua 6, the people of Israel are now on the edge of that land getting ready to go in and occupy it. The problem is they're not going to just get to walk in without a fight because there are people there who don't want to give up that land. And so Jericho really is the very first battle in their conquest of Canaan. And so... This passage is where Joshua is receiving from God instructions on how they're going to take this very first city, this very key city, that really, once they get through there, they're going to have an inroad into the rest of the land. But if they don't take this city, they're never going to enter it, okay? So in verse 1, we read about how Jericho is completely shut up. There's no one going in or out of the city. It's got really tall walls, some people believe as high as 20 feet or higher, and There are uh, no gates that are open. And then in the very next verse, we read that the Lord told Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. If you and I or I were Joshua at this point, we might be like, hold on a second. What? How can this be? If you've given us the city, why are we standing out here and they're still in there? I mean, sometimes we read the scriptures and we kind of just skip over and kind of receive them as like just kind of this flat story. But imagine what Joshua was thinking at this point. Like, okay, it's ours, but how's that working? We'll look back at the text. In verses 3 through 5, we see that God has a really interesting plan. He's about to make a way for them to get into that city. And it was going to be miraculous. By simply marching around that city once a day for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day... And then blowing a ram's horn and shouting, God was going to cause all those walls of that city to just fall flat. I don't know about you, but if you have any church history, maybe you grew up in church, this is sometimes a story that we think of like on a flannel board and and it's kind of cute. It's like Noah's Ark. It's just something that would be on like a T-shirt or a coffee mug. And we forget that, like, these are real people, and this is a real problem, and this is a real story. And somehow, miraculously, God has this plan. But at the same time, when you, when you look at this, it's kind of a ridiculous plan. Instead of doing what we would do to take over a city if we were in battle, sending in the special forces, the Navy SEALs, or at least a football team, he's going to take out the city with the marching band. I mean, that's what he says, right? We're going to blow a horn and the walls are going to fall. This puts a, you know, you didn't know that, you know, junior high band, maybe, maybe they're more powerful than we thought. But if I'm Joshua at this point, I'm thinking, what? You've got to be kidding me. Thankfully, Joshua doesn't do what I would do and he doesn't write off God. He doesn't think, well, that's stupid. He didn't let his problems block the promises of God. He was able to look beyond those walls and believe the word of the Lord. And like David would later tell us in Psalm 121, Joshua lived out the words. You've heard this verse. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Instead of fixing his eyes on his problems, on the obstacles, the barriers in his life, Joshua fixed his eyes on the God of the promise. And how do I know this? I know this because of what happens in verses 6 and 7. Look at that with me. So Joshua, the son of Nun, this is right after he hears God's words. He called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward. March around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. Joshua doesn't argue with God. He didn't list out a bunch of fears or reasons, excuses why this plan was ridiculous and it wouldn't work or why he couldn't do it. Instead, Joshua simply obeyed. God said, do this, and, God, and Joshua started to do it. He didn't argue. He didn't delay. He just obeyed. And so he called those priests, he called, passed on all the instructions, and they moved forward. And friends, as people who want to receive victory, I mean, I I think if I asked you guys, anybody want to just lose the rest of your life, nobody's going to raise their hand. We want to receive victory. As people who want that, it starts with fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because, you know, Jesus is the God of the promise. As we sung about all morning, he's really the culmination of everything that the Old Testament spoke about. He's the promised Messiah, the Savior who has come. And we get to live in an era where we look back at the cross and the resurrection. And we know Jesus is God in the flesh, and so we want to fix our eyes on him. If we're going to receive God's promised victory, we can't concentrate on our problems We can't look at all the things that are wrong and hard and difficult in our life and become consumed with those. We've got to lift our eyes above that, lift it above the walls, and fix our eyes on Jesus. The problem is, if you're anything like me, you have a really hard time fixing your eyes on Jesus. You spend a lot of your time looking at your walls, focusing on your problems, and all too often, we let what we see around us overshadow what God has said to us. We let the stuff that is tangible and so real and right in front of us kind of drown out that timeless voice of God. And maybe you're like me. Right now, I'm in an interesting season. As Keith said, I was a pastor at Skillman Bible Church. God began to speak to my wife and I about kind of giving us some clarity that this desire for us to live closer with our by our families in Houston was of him after praying through that for a couple of years. And so... I resigned without another job in hand. And so I'm looking for a job right now. And if you've ever looked for a job, you know that it's about the least fun thing on the planet. I'd rather go get a root canal than do this. But on Tuesday, I was really discouraged. I'm going to be honest with you. I was throwing myself like a grade A pity party. And I don't know about you. Maybe you're not looking for a job right now. Maybe you've got something else going on. Maybe you're like looking for a place to live. Maybe your lease is up and you don't know where you're going to go. Or maybe maybe you live with your folks and they said, hey, time to go, I'm pushing you out the nest. Um, perhaps the, the battle in your life, kind of the thing that's that's in front of you, that's consuming you, isn't something so tangible at least in a physical sense, but it's very, very real to you. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe you're dealing with fear, an addiction, insecurity. I don't know. I don't need to list more things because I know we all have something, right? And here's what I want to say, and here's what I believe. Regardless of the shape and the size that the walls in our lives take, we often allow those walls, what we see in front of us and around us, Or even what we feel inside to overshadow the promises of God. We even deal with this collectively as a church. When we have so much desire and passion to see God work in and through us. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see them grow and deepen their relationship with him. We want to see relationships restored. We want to see deep, deep, redemptive, restorative work happen. We want that. And sometimes those things they aren't really happening, or they are happening like way slower than we want. I don't know about you, but one of the things I've realized, like one of the frustrating parts of walking with Jesus, one of the frustrating parts of being a part of a church and leading a church as a pastor, is like sometimes it crawls when I want to run. I want to be Usain Bolt, and it's like I'm. I feel like it's it's like a toddler speed, you know, like not even crawling, like ba- baby speed. And when we, when we deal with that stuff, we can get so bogged down in what we're up against. And the challenge, friends, is we can't let our problems steal our focus from Jesus. If we want to receive the victory that God has for us, that he's already secured for us in Christ, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. But there's more to it. Let's look back at the story. So look at verses 8 through 14. This is probably the second paragraph there in chapter 6 for you. It says this. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, nor, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, and then you shall shout. Shout! So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. So we talked about Joshua receiving these word, these instructions, this word from God, and he didn't argue with God. He didn't delay. He obeyed. What's really interesting to me here in these verses is based on Israel's track record, like if we had been covering uh, the book of Exodus, I preached through that a couple of uh, years ago. If, if you had, had been a part of that series with us, You would most likely, or if you're very familiar with that passage, that book, you would expect the people to whine and complain about this silly plan. Because that's what God's people are really good at in the Old Testament, whining and complaining. But for for some reason, it's really interesting. They don't do that. In verse 8, it says, and just as Joshua had commanded the people, they went forward. Instead of digging in their heels, thinking they knew better than God, they obeyed and did exactly what God told them to do through Joshua, and they started marching. They didn't just say they believed. They showed that they believed with their feet, and they faithfully moved forward. I don't know about you. A lot of times in my life, my faith doesn't find its way to my feet. It kind of just stays still. And sometimes I wonder, is that really faith? And maybe that's like like cognitive fact type, type level, walking with God and not, not really trusting him. But anyway... Here's the question for us. What will we do when God tells us to do something and it's kind of silly or strange? I mean, because marching around a city a bunch of times and blowing some trumpets is kind of weird, isn't it? If God gave us some silly or strange instructions, if he called you to do something that you're like, that is totally not anything I've ever thought about doing before. That's outside of kind of my picture of what it looks like to walk with you. What would you do if he did that? Uh, Maybe a better question is, what will you do when he does that? Because that's what God does. He kind of leads us out of ourselves into these new spaces and new places. When he does that, will we protest or give excuses, or will we trust God and do what he says? I mean, it really is, that's the the question. You cut, cut through the fat, that's the question. When it doesn't make sense, will we show that we believe God, that we trust him, by faithfully moving forward? Look at verse 10. He sa- it says there, um, shout, uh, Sorry, I'm on the wrong page. <laughs> That's why I was confused. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. I'm a talker. When I read this verse, I'm like, man, I'm glad they got that instruction and not me. You could ask my wife, if I was given some orders to march around the city, I might be able to do that. Whenever he got to the you can't say a word thing, I'd be like frozen in fear because I don't know if I could follow through on that. I'd probably say, I'm out. I don't want to mess this mission up. You guys have fun. I'll be over here. And this seems on the surface like a rather kind of difficult Or even maybe pointless part of the instructions. But here's what's going on here. In the past, talking has gotten the Israelites into a lot of trouble before. It was just a few years earlier when every time they opened their mouths in the desert, you can read about this in Exodus, they did the same thing. I kind of referenced this a minute ago. They would grumble and complain. God's raining down manna from heaven and they're like, this isn't good enough. He's delivered them from Egypt by parting the Red Sea, and they want to go back. They use their mouths to grumble and complain. And I believe God gave them this gag order, if you will, to guard their hearts from bitterness and to prevent discouragement as they circled the city for the whole week. I think he knew them, and he's like, this is the only way this is going to work. They can't talk. But that's not all. If you know more of the story, according to Numbers 13, when Moses sent 12 spies to check out the promised land, when they went and looked at this land where Jericho is on the edge of, you remember that two of those spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Two of the 12 came back and said, we can do it. But the other 10 spies came back and they were like shaking in their sandals and they, were, they said, those people are giants and their cities are fortified, talking about Jericho, and very large. And as a result of the fear and unbelief of the people of Israel that they expressed with their words by opening their mouths, that entire generation, entire generation missed out on experiencing the promised land so what I see here is God is giving them these instructions to be quiet, to be silent, because he wants to give them something really good. Sometimes we don't understand these things that God tells us, these things he asks us to do. They, they confuse us or they even maybe make us afraid. And what we can see in this story and what we know from the character of our God is he doesn't do that stuff uh, carelessly. He doesn't do it pointlessly. He does it like a kind and loving, merciful shepherd who wants to take us to that green pasture and that still water and give us better, better things. So God had a plan to prevent the Israelites, and his plan involved being quiet so they wouldn't shoot themselves in the foot and miss out on his best. And the plan was simple. Shut your mouth and walk around this city. Silly. Kind of confusing, but simple. Shut your mouth and march. And according to verses 11 through 14 that we just read, they did that. They did exactly that for six whole days. And just so you know, it took about an hour to march around the city. So this wasn't like, hey, take a lap and, you know, 15 minutes later, they're back drinking some water or coffee or whatever. No, it was an hour. That's kind of a demanding thing. So the, the people of Israel received Joshua's commands, and they did exactly what God told them to do. This is one of those rare instances in the scriptures where you see the people of God get it right. And I think it's all because God was mercifully and protectively guarding them. And So friends, if we want to experience and walk in that victory that God has promised us, this is one that's going to be really, really hard for us to follow, <laughs> But we have to do exactly what God tells us to do. It's not easy, but the Spirit of God that enabled them to do that, I'm just trying to picture this massive mob of people walking around a city quietly. If he can do that, he can enable us to obey his commands. And there are going to be times in our life when God tells us to do things that don't make sense, things that we don't think will work, things that we don't want to do. But when he does, we need to suck up our pride, we need to put feet to our faith, and we need to do exactly what he tells us to do. And I don't know about you, but this is one another thing. I just like struggle with this. I often get caught up in thinking why something won't work or how things haven't changed up until now. Kind of like, yeah, God, we, I've tried your path and it's not really happening. And so I just kind of exit the, you know, the path and, and I don't do what God says. If we want to see God bring victory in our lives, what I want to submit to you this morning is that that happens. We see God do new and different things in us and for us when we obey him in new and different ways. We see God show up and do something new when we obey his commands and we do that in new ways. The Israelites were marching. They're doing what God said. But here's what's interesting. At this point, those walls are still standing. They're still standing. And let's look back at the text to discover the third part of seeing God give us victory. So look at verse 15. It says, On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day, and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. The Israelites had patiently done what God asked them to do, what he told them to do for six days. Now it's the seventh day and they're marching again. And here's what I want to point out. This blew my mind when I caught this the last time I taught this because I don't think I ever saw this before. In verses 4 and 5, God told Joshua that the walls were going to fall when they shouted at the end of the seventh day, uh, the seventh trip around the city on the seventh day. But you know what? Joshua never passed that information on to his people. They had no idea that on the 7th day on the 7th lap those walls were going to fall. They just knew that they were supposed to march. God told them that he would give them the city, but he didn't the Israelites had no idea when he would do that. The timing of that was unknown. And life is like that. I want to tell you that. God promises some things to us. He promises some really good things to us. He promises that Jesus is coming back. We're going to talk about that more later, so I'll just, just save that for the, the end of the sermon. But he doesn't tell us when that's going to happen. Isn't Oftentimes, when God tells us something, he tells us that it's going to happen, but he doesn't tell us when it's going to happen. And when you're in a stage like I'm in right now, when you're looking for a job... It's nice to know that God provides. It's nice to know that he's my shepherd, to know that he leads me to still waters and green pastures. It is hard not knowing where that pasture is going to be and when I'm going to get there. And my wife should be saying amen louder than anybody right now. Just picking on you. It's hard not knowing when God will deliver. But here's the thing. He will. He will come through. Back to the story. Now it's the seventh day. The people are doing what they've done for six days straight. They're walking around the city. Only this time, instead of taking one lap for one hour, they're taking seven laps for seven hours. Seven hours. And here's what I want to just point out. Imagine if those people had given up after six days. Or imagine if they had taken a lap on the seventh day like they did the previous days and then just gone back to the camp. They could have taken five, maybe even six laps and stopped. And if that would have happened, those walls would never have fallen down. They would have never received God's promised victory. And here's what I want to put that in context with uh, for us. Every single one of us is fighting a battle. Every single one of us is dealing with something that is difficult, something that we're up against. And we don't know God's timetable I just want to submit a question to you. What if you're on day five? What if you're on day six? What if you're on lap six of day six? And breakthrough is literally right around the corner and you just don't know it. Remember, our, our responsibility, our calling is to obey and do what God tells us to do and trust his timing. That's really hard. But what if? What if you're on day five, day six, lap six? Look at verse 16. And at the seventh time when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. This word for shout actually has two meanings in the scripture. It is both a battle cry. So I think I picture like William Wallace and Braveheart where they're like shouting as they charge. Like that's a good definition for this word, shout. So it's used to intimidate and declare victory over one's enemies, but that's not all. Lots of times in Scripture, there's kind of multiple layers of meaning. It means to raise a glad cry. It is to praise God for the victory he is giving. So in this moment, the Israelites were doing both things. They're saying, Jericho, we are coming for you. You're toast. And they're also saying, our God is the victor, and he's the one who fights for us. Praise his name. And so really what I want to submit to you as you look at this passage is that worship was their only means of warfare. You're free to dissect the verses. You're not going to see a a sword swung, a spear thrown. Worship was their only means of warfare. It's kind of interesting. Look at verse 20. It says, the people shouted. The trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Maybe at this point, now you're going to see there's some, some fighting happening. But that's not why they got in there. They didn't fight their way into the city. God gave it to them. He miraculously caused those walls to fall. The people did exactly what God told them to do, And God did exactly what he promised to do. He gave them the victory. Though they had circled that city for six days to no effect, on the seventh day, which is the day of perfection, the number seven, you see it all throughout the scriptures. It's a a number of perfection. It's a a number that that is directly related to God's activity. On that day of perfection, that, that screamed to Israel and anybody else who had the 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 i can't think the who God had blessed with the mind to know and recognize that he was the one who did this they simply walked into a, in obedience to God marching around the city blowing the trumpets exactly as he said and he delivered the city he gave them the victory he gave it to them and friends what i want to say as we as we kind of near the end here is that we receive God's promise of victory when we don't give up until Jesus gives us that victory. It happens when we don't give up. So wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, my word to you is just don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop on day six. Don't stop on lap six of day seven because God has already secured our victory And it's just a matter of time until he gives it to us. He's promised it, and he is going to make good on that promise. One day, you and I, if we are in Christ, we are going to walk in victory completely. We will win. Jesus died. He rose again, defeating sin and death once and for all as we just sung about. I love the words of that song. Uh, His buried body began to breathe. The roaring lion What's the next part? <laughs> I got, we're all blanking on it. Uh, anyway, declared the grave has no no uh, grip on me. There you go. Sorry. Jesus is victorious, and if we are in Him, the Scriptures say that we are victorious. And there's a day coming when he is going to give us that victory. We are going to receive it in all of its fullness. It is ours now, but we are going to walk in it one day. And Jesus, as I said earlier, he's coming back for us. Our God has promised to bring us where he is, to wipe away every tear from every eye. Read Revelation. He's promised to make everything wrong right in all of creation. And one day he is going to make good on that promise. And so my, my challenge, friends, is don't give up until Jesus brings that victory and he gives it to us. I know life is hard. I know it seems so dark. I know it feels so hard, so hopeless sometimes. But don't give up. God is with us. He's for us. And he is coming back. He's sending Jesus back for us. And he's going to give us the victory that Jesus has purchased. And as we close, I want to invite you all to close your eyes. And just be still before the Lord. And I'm going to ask you, kind of give you three questions that I think invite God into kind of those spaces in your heart that, that you need to, to interact with him and kind of open up to him this morning. And the first question really is this. As you consider the battles you're facing, the walls that you're up against, ask God this question. Father, have I been focusing my eyes on Jesus or on the walls that are in my life? Father, where have I been directing my mind and my heart? What what is consuming my thoughts? Father, where am I focusing my eyes? Father, my prayer for myself, for my friends this morning, is that you would help us focus our eyes on Jesus. We're not prone to do that. So do that. Give us that gift. Secondly, Lord, here's another question. Have I been doing what you tell me to do or am I trying to do things my way? Am I obeying you or am I trying to lead my own life? Am I in the driver's seat or am I following you? Father, help us to do exactly what you've asked us, what you've told us to do. Help us put feet to our faith and move forward in obedience. One more. Almighty God, where have I gotten stuck and thrown in the towel? Where have I given up and resigned myself to just sitting outside the city looking up at the walls? Father, we don't want to get up. I know that deep in the depths of our hearts, we want to experience the victory. We want to follow you. We want to obey. We want to keep moving forward. That is what you've placed in us. The rest of the stuff we deal with are lies and fears that are of the enemy. They're not of you. So help us to get back up wherever we are this morning. Give us the strength by the power of your Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. Stand back up and to keep moving forward, to keep marching, to take another lap. Trusting that you're going to come through, that you will bring the victory that we long for, that you created us for. I believe you want to help us. You want to give us everything we need to endure, whatever it is we're dealing with, whatever season we find ourselves in. So Spirit of God, it strengthen us, embolden us, and give us a heart to endure. We pray all of this so that we might, first of all, glorify you because you're worthy of everything we are and everything that we have. And secondly, so that we might taste and receive and walk in the victory that your son has purchased for us. In his name we pray.